Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Wyndham Garden Lafayette. From Spoonbill Restaurant in downtown Lafayette, we're out to lunch with creative business consultant Aileen Bennett. It's business Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Aileen Bennett. Welcome to Out to Lunch. We often hear the current era we're living in described as the information society. With the advent of the internet and mobile device, you have access to more information literally in the palm of your hand than any other human beings in history. To know everything in the world, you don't even need to be able to read. You can just say, hey Siri, or hi Google, and ask your device to tell you whatever it is you want to know. But all that information on the World Wide Web doesn't just magically appear there. We're still reliant on people who can read and write effectively to post it. When it comes to information about what is going on in the world, those people are journalists. Journalists have typically written for newspapers. Up until a few years ago, if you wanted to read what journalists are writing, you had to buy a newspaper. But now we get most of our news online. And in information society, we expect information to be free. That trend has led to the well-documented demise of the daily paper. Except, not here. Here in Acadiana, we're in the atypical position of having a newspaper that is actually expanding, both in its staff and coverage. That newspaper is The Advocate. At The Advocate, one of the people behind this trend-bucking expansion, and the person charged with figuring out how to make money out of information everyone expects for free, is the company's publisher, Judy Tazotis. Judy, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you so much. No doubt, Judy has a massive task making a newspaper profitable. But you have your own struggles with money, we all do. Most of us somehow manage to spend all of the money we make. Even if we get a raise or we win the lottery, somehow we find a way to spend it all. So that when it comes time to buy something we really want or really need, we stress out about it. Or we put it on a credit card and stress about it every month for years to come. Wouldn't it be great if you could figure how to live within your means, have everything you want within reason, be happy and even have savings? According to Molly Richard, that doesn't have to be a fantasy. It can be your real life. Molly's company, Splendor Financial Wellness, takes ordinary people like you and me through a unique process that is focused on how our finances are linked to our psychological and emotional states and raises our financial IQ to the state of actual happiness. Molly, you're unlocking something here revolutionary in its simplicity. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you. Glad to be here. Judy, I'm sure every time someone talks to you about how newspapers make money in the digital age, they bring up the New York Times. The New York Times charges $20 a month for a digital subscription. With over $700 million in digital revenue alone, the newspaper is extraordinarily profitable. Is there anything in the way the New York Times has pioneered making money from a digital newspaper that you can apply to The Advocate? Or is The Times in a universe of its own and you have to do something completely different for the smaller digital market like ours? Yeah, that's a great question. In fact, you know, being privately held, um, we are the anomaly. John Georges bought The Advocate six years ago and has just been on a tear in terms of expansion. I mean, he believes in building information, media companies contiguously in, in the footprint. So, you know, started in Baton Rouge, expanded to New Orleans, and expanded to Acadiana. 
And part of my charge coming from, I worked for Gannett for 25 years, publicly traded company that was very on the forefront of launching digital subscriptions and, you know, diversifying the revenue stream, both for readership and for revenue. And so we're looking at, like, how do we take a piece of what The Times is doing and make sense for our market? So we did. We launched a paywall, but it's a very flexible, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Most paywalls are like you get 15 articles a month, and then within after that 30 days, then it refreshes. So if you burn through those 15, you got to wait 29 days before you get 15 more. Ours is a variable, flexible meter based on how much you read. So our most robust readers are the ones that are hitting our paywall the soonest. But we they go through a customer journey where we ask them to sign up for a newsletter, they might get a few more article pages, and on and on. And But bottom line is, we believe that we deserve to be paid for our journalism. I mean, we are the ones providing local content in the biggest way in South Louisiana. So it's not, you're not charging your best readers more, but you're saying, hey, you use this service right. regularly, and we think that you'd be willing to pay for it. That's right. And then we have 150 journalists 150 across three markets. I mean, that's more than you're going to find in Des Moines, Iowa, Nashville, Tennessee, much larger market. And so because we have an owner that really feels like investing in the product is important. So yeah, we, we feel like we did deserve to be paid for that content. Molly, as I mentioned, what you're doing at Splendor Financial Wellness is revolutionary in its simplicity. Instead of treating a personal budget by looking at how much money somebody makes and how much they spend, you start with their emotions. But not in this touchy-feely, wishy-washy way. You just look at a person's individual feelings about money. Once you figure out a personal relationship to money, you find a way to make that relationship work. Can you start by explaining how our belief system, what we believe and feel about money, relates to how we make and spend money? Yeah, sure. So psychologically, if you have a belief system at, you know, subconsciously at really deep levels of your psyche, your behaviors reflect that belief system in a lot of ways. So for instance, if you have a belief system that um, money is bad for whatever reason, um, of course your behaviors are gonna you know, get rid of whatever money you have, feel guilt if you have savings in your bank account, and just generally feel uncomfortable with the idea of having money, feel like it's bad to have it. Um, but a lot of people pick up a belief system like that or others similar to that that really do affect their behaviors. And this happens in, you know, cognitively across a ton of different types of behaviors. Do we get a lot of our belief systems from our parents and how they used money around us when we were children? Yeah, definitely. I think one of the first questions I ask people whenever I sit with them for our first session is, tell me your earliest memory of money. Because um, a lot of times we pick up on things from either our family members or our guardians or just experiences in our lives that we decide are true about money. And most of the time, they're true sometimes about money. But if we apply them across the board to all of our experiences with money or all of our behaviors around money, it might not always be true. Um, so we can hear my listener saying, okay, that all sounds very nice. Right. But how do my feelings about money actually make me more money? In the same way that some beliefs about money cause you to avoid receiving or keeping money, other beliefs about money, if you're able to replace the old beliefs about money, um, will lead you into more opportunities where you're willing to receive money. So someone can make more money just by wanting more money? Yes. Yes, that's a very simple I like answer. that. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know, if you think about athletes and 
the way that their psyche works is most of the time they believe that they're capable of things that most people would decide are impossible and then they go ahead and break a record and everybody thought that was impossible at one point and it wasn't. That's an extreme example but in little small ways um, a lot of the time that people you know don't make a financial goal for themselves is because they have a belief system that they're not able to do it. So by challenging that belief system, um, you challenge the outcome as well. So let's talk about belief systems with Judy. Judy, you're in charge of arguably the most influential statewide media company. Does your no company... pressure. Thanks, Aileen. Thanks for reminding me of that. <laughs> no pressure there. No pressure there. So where do beliefs come in? Do you have beliefs as a newspaper, your core beliefs that you put out there, and are you very aware of that and how much power you have across the state? Yeah, I mean, our challenge is that we just have to 100% be balanced and fair, and that is such a tough thing in this environment because you 50% label us as conservative and 50% liberal, and you really you have to walk that really thin line. And we're very thoughtful, particularly our editorial pages, of making sure that we have you know, opposing views and that we welcome that diverse dialogue. And then in stories, just to make sure it's completely sourced and completely balanced. And you know, people's agenda, unfortunately, will well, read in a, into it. In a it. world where we know words like disinformation yeah, right. and where we're being told not to trust right. the press, I know. how has that made journalism more difficult? Well, it's, quite frankly, I think it's scary. I mean, I, I really, the dialogue that's out there right now about being the enemy of the state is putting you know thousands and thousands of journalists lives on the line and it infuriates me quite frankly and you know we have a lot of security measures in place but I mean just getting out in the public we have a lot of times reporters that are harassed because they're doing their job and that's just unfortunate so you know them to be able to to really true in that environment make sure that they're they're being fair and balanced isn't even a, a harder task I think right now with the times so as a, a leader, and which is what you are, you came up through the ranks in newspaper. Did you intend to get to the position you are now? Did you always have your eye on the big prize? I did. I'm, I'm my dad's daughter, so my family's very type A. I mean, it's to a fault. My brother is a retired four-star general, if that tells you anything. He went to West Point. I mean, it's no pressure at all, but yeah, I, I was always my father. When I was in college, I called and I said... I was just named vice president of my sorority, and he said, what do you think? Who's the president? Who's the president? <laughs> so at an early age, back to beliefs and how you're shaped, and it just really about achieving, making sure that you're using your gifts and talents in the biggest way was what my parents taught us. So, yeah, I worked through the ranks, but I just felt like if I worked, I never really thought I'm aspiring to the next job because my dad always said if you work hard, you will get to the next level. You don't have, don't be like, you know, so, but so Most journalists focused. do it because they love to write. Right. But you were like, eye on the, the big I prize. like the big picture. I like the business of journalism. I like what so, we do to community. So I wanted to be able to, to drive the strategies and, and help, help facilitate What does that. a publisher actually do? <laughs> so we don't really want anybody to know that. <laughs> We'd like to know, wouldn't we, Molly? Molly and I would like to know. Basically, I'm, I'm, basically I'm a CEO, so I'm running all the departments. I, you know, I have final say editorially, but I trust my editors. I read all editorials in advance. So I sit in on news meetings, sit in on revenue meetings, making sure that our brand is really solid in the community. So you have the final say of what goes in the paper? I, on, on, I, I do, but you know, we just our business is built is we have mechanisms in place that edit,
it and verify and you really trust your editor so they, they'll come to me if it's like controversial story and just say hey this is what we got what do you think and then we really sometimes will even go to our attorney and say do we have enough should we publish this that's pretty rare so it but, is like what we see on tv oh, yeah. with the newsrooms <laughs> and the drama oh yeah absolutely you're listening to out to lunch i'm aileen bennett i'm talking with judy tazotis publisher of the advocate and molly richard from splendor financial wellness we'll be back after this very brief break You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Aileen Bennett. I'm talking with Judy Tazotis, publisher of The Advocate, and Molly Richard from Splendor Financial Wellness. So, Molly, I want to know how you... Judy knew what she wanted. She was going to get to the top, whatever it took. How did you decide that you were going to work with people's emotions about money? Um, Good question. I think there are a number of different experiences in my life that led me to do that. one of them is I did a volunteer year. I like took a vow of poverty, which looking back on is really interesting to think about. So a vow of poverty it doesn't just mean I've got no money and I'm... I yeah. I mean, I did the I did the Jesuit volunteer corps for a year right after college. So committed to living off of a hundred dollars stipend and then sharing housing and food money with six other people. A hundred dollars for how long? For a month. Okay. Sorry. Because um, a day that's not too bad. A day, no big deal. <laughs> But anyway, it got, you know, at that point I had to, there wasn't like wiggle room. I couldn't just like, oh yeah, I think I will eat out tonight. Like there was no space for that. I had to be very intentional about how I spent my money and what I wanted to do with it. And so I think that foundation made it very clear that like if I prioritized, things could work out. I can make things work, even living off of hardly anything. So we live in America, as you know, it's built on capitalism. Right. So... How are people understanding your business in Lafayette? Are they catching on quickly or are you spending a lot of time trying to explain what it is you do? No, I think, I think they are catching on quickly. I mean, the big thing is that finances is one of the most stressful areas of most people's lives. But your therapist is not necessarily exempt from those same stresses. So, um, you know, going talk to a financial advisor in a suit about your money when all you want to do is cry whenever you talk about it is a very different experience than coming to talk to me about it and just like opening up a space that's been taboo in your life for as long as you've been alive. So um, I think what's most appealing about the work that I do is it gives people a place to just ask questions that they've never felt comfortable asking. Like, am I doing this right? Am I like, how does my credit card work? What should be my plan? Like all different ages, people are like, am I doing this right? And um, it's a really intimidating question to ask. We don't really have a lot of a lot of outlets to talk about money and feel comfortable with it and acknowledge the emotional aspects connected to it. So, in the same vein, Judy, you started off with journalism was journalism and newspapers were, were newspapers. But now your company does a lot of community outreach, which wasn't a thing in journalism. Can you explain what you do as community outreach and why it's important? Yeah, I mean, I think now journalism is you referenced at the beginning just to the accessibility of content and the immediacy that now more than ever us getting out and kind of view it as face-to-face journalism as opposed to just the written word is really important because you're interacting and you're creating really a relationship with with the reporters, with the staff, with the organization, with the brand. And so we do a lot of panels and you know events, big events like a sports awards that you bring in and you highlight prep athletes to really small just almost coffee chats if you will and that to me it, 
what's changed a lot in reporting is the responsibility of the reporter to be a self-marketer. I mean, that was, you know, 10 years ago, you didn't have to do any of that. But, you know, that's part of the job description is making sure you're marketing your content, you're building your brand on social, you're out in the community, you're not just sitting behind a computer, you know, knocking out a story. So, yeah, that's a big piece of it. So that leads me perfectly to a question about how are you marketing your business, Molly? How do people how do people know about you? Are you writing, you know, are you putting up pictures of dollar bills on Instagram every day? Are you, you know, how are you marketing your business? Yeah, great question. Um, so far, most of my clients have been word of mouth from other clients, and that's sort of what what got me to decide to like make this a business. Is because you're kind of instantly likable. You have that. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so yeah, so you know, so far it's it's been just word of mouth referrals. Um, I have done some marketing just on social media, Instagram, but very minimally. I think a lot of it comes from someone having a like an awkward conversation about money with someone else, and they're like, actually, I know this person. You could like talk to you more openly about this. And um, so yeah, it's kind of been word of mouth so, so far. I'm gonna ask you both forms of the same question. So Molly, if I want to come and work with you, number one. What am I going to expect? Is it just me? Is there a group of people? How do you work with people? So if I call you, and obviously I'm going to be a bit scared, and go, I just need, I think I need to talk to you. What happens in that process? Yeah. So um, I usually just hear you out. Like, why did you call? What's, what, you know, I guess, what are you going through right now? And how can I best help you? Um, I have several different ways that I work with people. I do offer one-on-one sessions with people. If someone has something specific they want to work through, or they're not comfortable in a group setting, um, I'm definitely available for that. But my favorite way to work with people and the one that I feel has been um, really the most beneficial for people is a series called the Flourish Series. It's a conference call series where for five weeks, six people get on the same call once a week and we have an hour long um, opportunity to reflect on a, a certain question or prompt about money. And um, I think what's most powerful about that series is that it's really breaking a taboo. Like six strangers who have you know, never gotten the opportunity to talk about what money really feels like or what questions they really have about it or what they want from it. Like it's pointless to just want money for money's sake. But whenever people are like, I really, really, really want to go back to school and not have to be in a ton of debt about it. Or I really, really, really want to be able to take my family on a vacation once a year and not feel guilty the whole time that we're trying to enjoy, you know, each other's company. Um, anyway, it's, it's just, it opens up a space for like six people to share their very unique experiences about it and like process it with other people who are processing their own unique experiences. So the cool thing about it too is that we never comment on each other's experiences or offer advice to each other. It is strictly a witnessing space where we're just like here you're telling your part of what's going on and you know I'm being heard when I'm telling my part of what's going on and we're just like bit by bit chipping away at a taboo and getting more comfortable with a topic that is really a huge part of everyone's life. Before we change gears the same question to you Judy I've got something I think should be a story in the paper what do we do? Well don't email a press release. <laughs> we Do get not email a press hundreds release. and hundreds and hundreds of press releases, that and that is such an old way of doing business. You know, it, it's a personal phone call to a reporter to an editor. It's you know, it's it's basically a story pitch. It's like why should your readers care and tagging and, them on Facebook? Absolutely, yeah, and putting just giving them a little bit of a news tip and you know the. 
that's the piece. It's it's funny. It's just people send a press release and they think they should be done and it should get this big play. They never follow up with a phone call. They never, you know, it just, it's like you got to work it. And that's the part that, you know, and thinking through our broad audience, like why do hundreds of thousands of people want to hear this story? Because that's, you know, that's the tough part. Sometimes people are like, that's really interesting for 12 people. Yes. Yeah. So let's ask the big important question, Judy. Why is the advocate growing when other papers all around, not just the nation, but the world are shrinking? I, I say this over and over. It's our owners. I mean, this is John and Dathel George's. This is not how they made their money. They invested in the advocate. I asked, you know, John, why did you buy the advocate? And he said, first of all, I want any business I buy at this at my age, I want to be curious and I want to be able to learn. And he said, but second, I want to give back to the communities that my family is growing up and I want a legacy. So he approaches it from that perspective, not like most companies of like, how much profit can I drive? It's not that he doesn't want to make money, but it's more about this robust report. So we have more reporters than you would normally have at these size markets. The print product is, I mean, it's its ridiculously big in a good way because it has more pages and more stories than you're going to see anywhere. And then digitally, what we've invested in, I mean, we're, we're on the forefront of all the technology that you find at big at Washington Post and New York Times, the analytics behind it. I mean, we can right now tell you real time how many people are reading each story online and how far down they're reading that story so we're reprogramming all the time it's like a tv show but all the stuff that goes on in the background is because we have a an owner that believes in investing and he doesn't like to cut corners and it's pretty darn cool it really really is so does online demand drive the news are you like is it torn between oh people like this they'll click on it they'll read it do we write more of what they'll like or do we write more of what's important and are they a little the same bit of thing? both a little bit of both I mean we obviously the First Amendment and you know making sure that we have our communities back on, but then we get to people but then you you have the weird quirky story that people care about I mean the Popeyes chicken sandwiches I'm sorry people love that story they did and they were also, brilliant marketers by saying they were out of them and then yeah. the governor had the little league kids there and, and now you can <laughs> take your I mean, so you got to do a little bit of both, and you can't be so serious that it's just such a dry report. But if everybody clicks on cat pictures, do you eventually become a newspaper no. full of cat pictures? <laughs> Hopefully not. No, but you do kind of go, okay, well, that's interesting. And so, what else does that segment of the audience care about? And we track, we have analytics on. I'm probably like going to scare everybody with a big brother, but I mean, we tag our site so. We right now know every story that you've read, and we put them in folders, if you will, and so we know that you're a foodie, and so we're going to serve you up all of the, the really the marketing Excellent for a digital point. subscription based upon that content. So, yeah, I mean, so we do. We watch the trends, but you have to have the balance. So the final question, what's... What's the stress it stresses in your each of your jobs? What are the bits that are difficult? Are they always easy? Molly, what are the difficult bits for you? I think one thing that is important to me and the way that I interact with people is that um, I don't give people advice or tell people how they should handle their money. I ask a lot of questions that sort of lets them process what they want from their money and you know, come up with their own ideas about how they're either going to have it or save it or, um, you know, spend it in a way that lets them live the life that they really want for themselves. Um, so I think one, you know, 
it's not a difficult thing, but it's something I'm always keeping tabs on. Is like if, if ever there's a point where I'm like, oh, this person should do this with their money, I'm not doing my job. I very much feel like um, money's a really personal thing. It's a really emotional thing, and there are certain things that people have to decide for themselves and arrange for themselves that I would never be able to do a good job of doing that for someone else. And so I think that's just... It's not difficult, but it is about like a line that I, I walk a lot of making sure to present people with other options or help them think outside of the boxes that they've thought of so far while still not um, stepping in and, you know, making a decision for them that is, frankly, theirs to make. Judy, there's a lot of different stresses in your job. There are. I mean, the I guess number one is I go to work every day thinking about all the employees and their families that have put trust into our organization. So I carry that with me every day that I make sure they're, you know, they're satisfied, they're challenged, and that, you know, they're doing a job that's going to pay dividends for our company because, you know, Nobody wants to worry about, in this business, most people worried about, are men going to be laid off? Because so many media companies are downsizing. So thankfully, we're not doing that, but that still weighs on my shoulders. I mean, that's probably number one. And I just really, I care about our staff, and I want them to grow and thrive, and I want them to have a life outside of their, you know, our organization. And this is a very time-demanding business, so you have to really peel people away and make sure they're taking care of themselves. Thank you. The old saying, what you don't know can't hurt you, does not apply to our new information society. In fact, the opposite is true. The more you know, the stronger you are. Judy and Molly, in different ways, you're both in the business of empowering people through knowledge. Judy, keeping a newspaper financially afloat and profitable so that we all have access to reliable information is a service to all of us. And Molly, giving people the tools to control their own finances is invaluable. Thank you both for everything you're doing for all of us in Acadiana. And thank you, Judy and Molly, for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you so much. Our guests on Out to Lunch today have been Judy Tezotis, publisher of The Advocate, and Molly Richard, owner of Splendor Financial Wellness. You can find out more about Judy and Molly by following the links on our websites, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Morrell. Our researchers are Anne Christian and Ali Coates. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on our website, itsacadiana.com, and on our It's Acadiana Facebook page, and on Instagram. These photos were taken by Lucius A. Fontenot. You can find out more about Lucius at lafphoto.com. You can get this show and past shows as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts, including Spotify. And you can find all of our podcasts at itsacadiana.com. You can keep up with us between shows on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And you'll find those links on our website, itsacadiana.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. I'm Aileen Bennett. Thanks for joining me today. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch. The Out to Lunch Acadiana theme music, Encore Monsieur, Nice Guy, is written by Mitchell Foreman and performed by Mitchell Foreman and Andre Michaud. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates. 
legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from the Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Cali's Saloon. Wyndham Garden Lafayette is a pet and family-friendly hotel with reception space for large and intimate events, free parking, free Wi-Fi, and a free shuttle within three miles that includes the airport and downtown restaurants. 